Hello, and welcome to the Auditory Chronicles podcast, a monthly program bringing you short tales for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, John McKenzie. In this episode, we bring you an adaptation of a short story published in 1958. We begin in the office of an interplanetary private investigator as a cold case heats up. Garden of Evil, adapted from the short story by Henry Slezer. Ordinarily, I said to the woman who had introduced herself to me as Mrs. Jaderland, our agency doesn't like to take cases almost 20 years old. The facts tend to get small and scattered like confetti after a parade. I smiled at her. She didn't smile back. Mrs. Jaderlin was on the favorable side of 50, and she had ice in her eyes as well as on her wrists. However, I continued, if you've turned up some fresh evidence about your husband's whereabouts... I have, she said. That's why I'm here. She looked around the seedy office and said, You're the only private investigators willing and able to operate in any of the seven allied star systems. And I have my own starship, I added with pride. Now suppose we talk about your case. Your information is that your husband is on a planet in the Generis star system, MV5. I can't tell you why I know this, she began. It would implicate some very important people in the government's service, but I am certain of one thing. If he's still alive, my husband, Dr. Hugo Jaderland, and my daughter, Pamela, are on planet MV5. I leaned back in the swivel chair and it squeaked. The expedition that went there 20 years ago never returned. You think your husband and child are there living in a rugged planetary jungle wilderness? I do, she said, and I want you to bring them back. Whether or not the case seemed promising, the detective agency I operated with Jamie Wright was sorely in need of a client. Mrs. Jaderlin left the office around 4.30 and I waited, planning, until Jamie strolled in at 6.30. You mean this guy and his daughter disappeared 18 years ago and we're supposed to find them now? Jamie asked after I told him about Mrs. Jaderlin's visit. Dr. Jaderlin was a physicist working on a top-level program, I explained, and their daughter was only two years old at the time. Mrs. Jaderlin said she tried to locate them for years afterward, but without success. Jamie chewed on his nails and looked worried as he said, I don't know, Chet. If that expedition starship never made the landing on MV5, how can we? That was 20 years ago, kid, I said. Ships weren't as good then, and if Jaderlin got there, we can too. The next five days kept me hopping. There was a lot of red tape that had to be untangled to make a star journey, including seven different types of permits from the interplanetary authorities. But to tell you the truth, I was elated by the whole business. Jamie wasn't. He had become so accustomed to living on the meager proceeds of divorce cases and sleeping in the office that all his ambitions seemed drained. He was only 24, and I had taken him into the office less than a year ago when he had offered me three grand for a star pilot apprenticeship. I thought he wanted adventure, but now I began to wonder. On a chilly morning in January, our starship, the Star Wagon, was ready for blastoff, and I was at the controls. The best that can be said about our two-month trip was that it was uneventful. I was never so happy to approach landfall as I was the day MV5 hovered in our ship's viewplate. There was nothing awesome about the orange-green ball that spun lazily in its short orbit around the Generis sun. The planet was about the size of our own Venus. As the globe enlarged in our sight, the thick, entangling vegetation that choked every inch of the terrain began to look like a formidable opponent. I was able to make our landing in a clearing that couldn't have been more than four times the diameter of the ship itself, 
Jamie made the usual safety checks before opening the airlock, and everything seemed okay, but I insisted on spacesuits anyway when we first debarked. Mrs. Jaderlin had been astonishingly specific about where we would locate the encampment of her husband and child. We set up our electronic finding equipment beside the ship and fixed our position. According to the result of our calculations, Dr. Jaderlin wasn't more than five Earth miles from our landing field, but as we surveyed the incredibly dense jungle that ringed the star wagon, those five miles might have been a thousand. Back inside the ship, we broke out some rations. Then it started to get warm. What the hell? Jamie gasped. Hot as planet Mercury in here. Something's wrong, I said as Jamie looked out the viewplate. Hand me that permalamp. He tossed me the torch and I went to the other viewplate. I turned on the powerful beam and gasped when I saw what had happened in the few hours since landfall. The clearing was gone, completely. New foliage had sprung up until it was smothering the ship with vines and creepers. Jamie said uneasily, I say let's blast off, Chet. We could be buried alive in this jungle. Maybe that's what happened to the other ship. We can't leave now, I insisted. Jaderlin survived this, so why can't we? I say let's turn the heat thrower on the stuff and see if we can burn our way through. Suddenly, the viewplate glass shattered into shards three inches thick and a green tentacle thrust its way into the ship. Jamie, I shouted as I reached for the heat thrower. In moments, a wriggling, churning mass of leaves and vines seemed to be poking a million clutching fingers towards us. I hoisted the heat thrower to shoulder level and pulled the trigger. The invisible waves of scorching heat sizzled out and burned a black hole through the unholy cluster of vegetation, curling it into shriveled fragments and creating a rotten stench that almost stifled us. It works, I said joyfully. We can make our way through this stuff, latch onto Jaderlin and his daughter and get the hell out. Look out! Jamie screamed. I whirled toward the hole in the viewplate, just in time to see the green juggernaut heading our way. A dozen tentacles, thick as cables and with sinister intelligence, reached for us. Jamie ran for the second heat roller, but before he could bring it to firing position, three of the tentacles were whipping around his body, choking off all movement and sound. I attempted to fire a second time, but I was too late. Only a nightmare, I woke up and said. No, a female voice said softly. Not a nightmare. It was the forest. I was in a bed and there was a young woman's face before mine. I said, are you Pamela? I tried to sit up without success. She touched my shoulder with her hand and I slid back with a groan. Different, she said. You're so different, both of you. Jamie, I said as the details of the attack returned to me. Where is he? Your friend is sleeping, Pamela replied. My eyes came into focus and I studied her. She wore something shapeless and green, woven of leaves. During our two-month journey I had imagined our meeting many times. I had not expected Pamela to possess a simple sweetness and gentle features. Pamela, I'm Chet Walker, I said quietly. We've come to take you home. Home? She asked, bewildered. This is home, Mr. Walker, a voice said at the other side of my bed. I shifted my body painfully towards the speaker. He was a tall bearded man looming over me and he returned my gaze sternly. This is Pamela's home, he said. She wants no other. I finally managed to sit up and look around me. It was more of a bower than a room. The ceiling overhead was a rounded dome formed of woven vines. For the first time I observed the second bed with Jamie's unconscious body sprawled across it. Listen, Dr. Jaderlin, I said. We've come from your wife. I don't wish to hear your reasons, the man said. He was dressed in the same entangled leafy green as his daughter. When I became aware of your ship landing, I commanded the forest to bring you here. The forest obeys me, Jaderlin said. 
I don't believe you, I said shakily. A forest can't obey anyone. This forest can, Jaderlin said. This is my forest, my garden, my world. The vegetation lives and obeys me in all things. He smiled at his daughter. It obeys my Pamela, too. Let me prove myself, Mr. Walker. For a moment, I thought his hermit's life had ended in madness, but Dr. Jaderlin's eyes were steady and his tone was convincing. He made a gesture toward the walls of the room. From the opaque foliage emerged four undulating tentacles, like those which had invaded our ship and taken us prisoner. When I first arrived here, Jaderlin said as the tentacles continued to wave about, the forest greeted me like some king it had been awaiting for centuries. The tentacles converged on the bed where Jamie lay helpless. Jaderlin's strong hand restrained me as I watched first in horror, then in astonishment. The tentacles gently lifted Jamie from the bed and held him suspended in the air. I heard Pamela whimper, Don't hurt him, father. I will not hurt him, my dear, he assured her. He gestured again and the cable-thick vines lowered Jamie to the bed once more. Throughout the experiment, my partner hadn't stirred. Now rest until you regain your strength, Jaderlin told me. Then we will speak of your future. He turned and walked straight for the wall of vines, his daughter behind him. The plants parted for them as they made their exit, and then sealed the room once more. It was four days later, MV5 days being the equivalent of 36 Earth hours, that Dr. Jaderlin revealed to me the true purpose of his desertion. As he did, Pamela and Jamie wandered off on their own. Dr. Jaderlin didn't seem to mind. He spoke of his wife and the world he left behind him. As you know, I was a physicist working with the government on a military atomic project. I won't describe myself as a pacifist. I understood the deadly purpose behind my work. But then I was assigned to an atom base called Area C. Area C, I said. Where the catastrophic blast happened? Jaderlin nodded. I was one of three physicists in charge of operations. There was nothing I could have done to prevent the pile from blowing up. A hundred thousand lives. His eyes went empty at the painful recollection. Something happened inside me that day, Jaderlin said. If it wasn't for Pamela, our then-infant child, I think I might have ended my life. But it was for her sake that I decided to leave the insane world that had given us birth, to seek out a new home where such horrors didn't exist. I wanted Clara, my wife, to join us, of course. I wanted escape from my whole family. But Clara didn't understand. He paused at the memory. I joined a starship expedition headed by an old friend and colleague, a botanist. The starship crashed and there were only four survivors. Fever took the others, but Pamela and I remained to discover the nature of the forest. But now what? I said. What will happen to you now, Dr. Jaderlin? And Pamela? We will stay here forever until our lives are done, but we will not be the last. His eyes looked beyond me. I will leave a new world behind me, Mr. Walker. This is only the beginning of it. I looked about us at the incredible foliage. You can't be serious, I said. You can't let your daughter remain here. He looked towards the wall of vines, and it parted to admit Pamela and Jamie. Their faces were flushed, and they were just releasing their hands. I whirled on Jaderland and snapped, So that's the idea. An atom for your Eve. When we were finally away from Dr. Jaderland and his daughter, I said to Jamie, I tell you, we've got to figure a plan. This guy is obviously off his head. But what can we do about it? Jamie said. As long as this jungle does what he wants. Our only hope is the daughter, Pamela, I replied. She can make this crazy vegetation do tricks too, if she can make them perform in our favor. One evening, two days later, we were ready to put a plan into action. 
Jamie pretended that we wished to secretly show Pamela our starship and bring forth supplies that would be offerings of peace to her father. The great overhanging leaves and vines of the forest divided as Pamela led us through the foliage back to our ship. Soon, the generous sun began to tint the sky overhead faintly orange, and we caught sight of the still-gleaming skin of the star wagon. I could have shouted for joy when we approached it, and when Pamela commanded the entangling vines to release the starship from its leafy grip. Jamie and I brought Pamela into the ship. It's so wonderful, she breathed, touching the smooth surface of the bulkheads. I've never seen anything like it. I went over to the controls and made a rapid check and found everything in working order to fire the rockets and escape MV-5. Dawn had already burst over the forest and the bright light pouring through the broken viewplate reminded me of our first hours on the planet. I said, We'll have to seal off that viewplate, Jamie. Right, he said, and he set off to work with the metal spray gun. Pamela watched him with curiosity and growing doubt. Then, just as the liquid metal closed off the viewplate to the sight of the terrain, she gasped and said, Jamie, it's father! I shot out of the pilot's chair and went to the other viewplate. In the forest not fifty yards from the ship, the tall foliage had parted again, and the stern figure of Dr. Jaderland was striding toward us. I didn't have to see his face to know the anger that was written on his features. He had been betrayed. There would be no mercy now. Maybe we can blast off in time, I said. No, Jamie reached for the heat thrower. He'll clamp a handcuff on the ship before he can fire the first rocket. Pamela looked frightened. She couldn't know the purpose of the device Jamie was holding, but his face revealed his intent. Wait a minute, kid, I intervened. There may be another way. Maybe we can reason with him. I pulled the switch that slid open the airlock. In moments, Dr. Jadalyn's tall figure was framed within it. Stop, he said thunderously, raising his arms like a biblical prophet. Before I could stop him, before Jaderlid could say another word, Jamie's finger was depressing the trigger of the heat thrower. Unseen fire was blasted full in the face of the old man. His body blackened and shriveled in an instant, crumbling into horrible ashes before the unbelieving eyes of his daughter. Father! Pamela screamed. Close it! Jamie shrieked. Close it and blast off! I obeyed, even without thinking. The first rockets exploded beneath the ship, and then the others joined the fiery ovation. Slowly, the star wagon rose from the great jungle and into the greater sky. When I was no longer needed at the controls, I turned to see Jamie lifting Pamela's unconscious body from the deck. She had been knocked out during the liftoff. He placed her gently on the passenger bunk, securing her in preparation for zero gravity, and then clambered into his spacesuit. He took over for me at the controls and I put on my own space rig. Look, Chet, he said. I know what you're thinking. You knew I had to do it. He returned to the co-pilot's chair and said, I'll level with you, Chet. She didn't think you'd understand, but I know you better. You're interested in the easy life, just as I am, and I know you'll go along with me. Who? Pamela? I said. What are you talking about? Mrs. Jaderland, Pamela's mother. What about her? I asked cautiously. Listen to me, Chet. Listen hard. I knew Mrs. Jaderland a long time before she ever spoke with you. She's the one who gave me the three grand for my apprenticeship, and she did it just for this trip. I stared at him. She didn't tell you the whole truth, Chet, but I'm telling you now because we're partners, okay? Sure, I said, trying to be casual. What is the truth, kid? There was a will left by the old man when he disappeared, Jamie continued. Maybe you didn't know it, but Dr. Jaderlin held half a dozen patents on atomic devices. He was worth plenty. The trouble was, Mrs. Jaderlin couldn't collect unless she could prove he was dead. That was the real purpose of our trip. She was happy without him, but now she's starting to run out of the money he left her. And what about Pamela? I asked. 
She wasn't even born when Jadalyn made his will and he never had the sense to change it. Now all she can do is testify that her father is dead, that we killed him in self-defense when he tried to prevent our departure. But I'm sure Mrs. Jadalyn will take care of her. We won't have to worry about that. No, Pamela said. You won't have to worry. We turned. Pamela was out of the bunk and standing unsteadily, but the heat thrower in her hands was rigid. No! Jamie shouted. Get away from him, Chet! Pamela screamed at me. Get away! I leapt from the chair towards her, but not soon enough to stop her finger from squeezing the trigger. <laughs> the blackened cinder that had been Jamie crumbled where he stood. Pamela dropped the heat thrower. It floated free before clattering to a halt against a magnetic bulkhead. We hope you've enjoyed our presentation of Garden of Evil, adapted from the short story by Henry Slesser, as read by JT. Be sure to join us next month for another tale of mystery and wonder. In the meantime, feel free to visit our website at AuditoryChronicles.com for an archive of previous episodes, as well as links to our Twitter feed and Facebook page. For Auditory Chronicles, I'm John McKenzie. Thanks for listening.